As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's a USMNT-centric episode today. We're looking ahead to the start of the Nations League. We're looking back at the friendlies against Morocco and Uruguay. And we're going deep on some MLS players that we think could make that final World Cup squad. I say we. I should introduce who the other part of this show is to make it a we. I'm joined by a man who seems to have spent the last week watching soccer matches, talking about soccer matches into a microphone, and hanging out with Bobby Warshaw. It's David Goss. David, welcome back to the show. I wasn't ready for that last part, and now I feel unprepared. <laughs> Spoilers to everyone. Bobby Warshaw challenged me to a tennis match later today out oh, of no. nowhere. So I'm, I'm deep in the Bobby Warshaw experience right now. Let's talk Bobby Warshaw experience for a moment, because I, I think I thought he was going to be like a ruthless competitor. And he can be, but he seems a bit more laid back than I would have expected. Are you expecting like gladiatorial combat when it comes to tennis? Or are you thinking something more laid back? Let me, this is the best explanation of Bobby ever. And it came up in a men's league game last week afterwards. He used to play on my team. He no longer lives in New York, so he doesn't. And one of the guys I play with, who's a really good player, was explaining him to someone. And he said this, he said, he has the most positive way of digging a knife. And for example, if I'd play a pass behind him, he'd look at me and go, James, you're better than that. I know you're better than that. And he's like, it hurts but it's a compliment like no other. And that's what I anticipate. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with the, the compliment knife twist. That's, that, that is definitely a, a Bobby signature. Uh, that, that's well said, David. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> uh, I listened to your Spaces chat with uh, Jaime Macias. Uh, y'all covered a few different games. How many matches are you watching in a given week? I have no idea. I do not have a good answer for that. I'm very fortunate in that I normally will have a game on while I'm recording all of my stuff on a TV behind me or behind my screens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will probably have a game on most of days. I throw games on on demand fairly often um, because my window in that during the day doing what I do is pretty flexible. And so I won't stress if I don't see it live. I know I can watch it later Um, with international. International feels different sometimes in that. 
I don't like watch it as tactically. I watch it like more enjoyment. It's almost like mm-hmm. a vacation from club games that I watch. And so I'll have multiple games on because I'm not even stressed about like intaking. I just want the like connection to those places and those people and the experience. Like that's why I love international soccer, I think. Um, and so it's like, oh, you know, Australia has this big game, but there's this Afghan game. And I'm like, I'll just throw it all on and sort of just get the vibes. Do you have any interest in Major League Soccer when it comes to international soccer? If you're watching two teams play and there's an MLS player on one side, are you rooting for that team out of a sense of loyalty to the league? Probably out of loyalty to the person. And that I mm-hmm. feel like I've covered enough stuff that I probably have a relationship with a lot of the people that are in these settings. So yes, I think that is a thing. And I was like freaking out last year when, or earlier this year, when Paraguay played Uruguay and it was... Guillermo Barros Coloto and Diego Alonso on the sideline. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah, I was not, I kind of forgot Diego Alonso was there until that game against Uruguay when it was like, oh, right, man, I hope he's having more fun. But then I enjoyed all the jokes when he tried when he did successfully use his seventh sub. The man doesn't like roster limitations. David. I was going to say, as inter Miami a move as you can make. <laughs> Uh, so I want to talk about some of the games you've been watching, though. Uh, I'm assuming you have one on right now, so I don't want to talk about that one. But you did, in that Spaces show, talk about the international playoff coming up between Australia and Peru. Sticking with MLS for a moment, do you feel like MLS has kind of played a role or is involved in that Peru squad? Are you expecting some MLS players to be on the pitch? Yeah, I, I MLS has is, is taken a really interesting spot in the region. And by the region, I'm talking about the entire Western Hemisphere here. Um, because uh, I think Brazil and Argentina stand alone. Outside of that, every other country sort of sits in a different place. A lot of the Peru-Ecuador players that you're looking at, Venezuela, uh, a little bit of Colombia as well, a lot of them would have been in Mexico in in previous cycles. And I think the addition of MLS has just created more spots for players like this to find their feet, like an Alex Collins, um, like a Marcos Lopez, where... Previously, there would have been, here are the six teams in Mexico that can afford them. And if you're not in one of those teams and you're not in Europe, you're probably not in the national team. And I think MLS has added another 10 to 15 rosters for these players to play at. And so I think the pools have gotten bigger on these teams. And it's not 100% to MLS, but I do believe MLS has a a little bit of buy-in in that. Obviously, more with Costa Rica, Honduras, Jamaica, you know, those countries. But with, I do think, Peru and Ecuador... It's part of it, and and it's why you see this Under-22 initiative and the Young DP, all of that. It, it's not just MLS that wants this to happen, right? Like, clubs in those countries want the money. Clubs in those countries want the ability to sell to an MLS team to get guaranteed money in the door, but still have that sell-on fee to get that higher number. Uh, and I I do believe there is a positive in interaction with these national teams. And going back to GBS and Diego Alonso being head coaches, Juan Carlos Osorio being a head coach down there. Like, I, I think there is value. There is seen value in MLS. Um, and I think it's it's been really positive on multiple sides. What do you think Major League Soccer's reputation is when it comes to doing that sort of transfer business? Do you think teams automatically see dollar signs? Do they like do they enjoy how things get done? Does it take a little bit too long when it comes to Major League Soccer? Do you have any sense of how a team selling from Ecuador would feel about selling to an MLS club? I know that there is a markup immediately when you come through the door. And part of that is because it's the U.S. And part of that is because, hmm, how to word this kindly, 
some people in MLS are not as good at their jobs as other people in MLS. Well said. Well and, said. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't look at the clubs separately. They look at the league. So when when a opponent comes down and buys someone as a DP number for maybe that doesn't deserve it, now all of a sudden an Ecuadorian team says, well, this guy's better. And so this is what you owe me. Or a Colombian team, Ooh, a Brazilian club, all that. So I definitely know those numbers are there. Um, I know part of the expertise for some MLS teams, but also one of the issues and friction is the style of business. I think someone said to me one time, um, one of their, uh, an executive NMLS said, the bank that we work through literally won't transfer money to these banks in some of these countries. Like it's not in their operating procedure. And so we figure out ways to get these transfers done. So it, it is really, it's still the Wild West. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, but I do think MLS plays a major part in the transfers that go on um, through South America, which I, I think is a really positive development from where we were at, what, five years ago? Maybe even less. As far as you know, is there sort of like an MLS branded sack of money that they have to carry when they go down there? Is that how it works? Uh, I don't, I don't think you travel with the sack of money. No. Okay. That, I guess that makes sense. Maybe you don't like make that quite so public. All right. Um, and you mentioned Costa Rica there. Do you think that we will end up having four, uh, CONCACAF teams at the World Cup this coming fall? That feels weird to say. Mm. We've got Costa Rica v. New Zealand on Tuesday. Uh, what are your expectations for that one? I do. Uh, I think what Costa Rica has shown over the course of qualifying is, um, a team that knows how to win in big moments, a team that knows how to do just enough. Uh, I would say overall, and this is as a neutral, so it's easy. I do think this cycle has been a failure for Costa Rica because they have not flipped over the roster as they should have. And they have not progressed the program from the golden generation to what is a very talented crop from 20 to 24 that's coming through. Um, and so overall, I think that's a failure, but I do still think it'll lead to a World Cup spot. Um, the way Calvo plays for the national team is completely different. Waston's been good. Kaylor Navas will be the best player on the field. Joel Campbell has shown up really big in qualifying in some huge moments for them, and this will be no different. So I, I do, uh, I think obviously Costa Rica are the favorites. It, both these games are weird when you look at the World Cup playoffs because there are four teams that don't really want the ball. And so like who plays the cat and mouse game better, who feels more comfortable, who sort of takes themselves out of their own game will be really interesting. I think that's my one fear for Australia is I do think that they're going to feel that what we saw against the UAE was they pushed higher. They got numbers higher up the field. It's not their best game, but they are willing to take it when teams give it to them. Versus, I think Peru will sit deep and counter no matter what happens in that game. And it'll be similar with Costa Rica and New Zealand. Um, but I, I, for Costa Rica, um, as much as I say, like, ah, oh, get rid of this generation, move on, they have performed in big moments. That's why they are still around. Man, you made me feel better because I looked at their squad, the way it's listed on Wikipedia, the source for all information. And Kilonavas is not included in that squad. Uh, so when you mentioned him, I, I, I thought, wait, hold on, what's happening now? And sure enough, he is joining after the Nations League game, so they gave him a break. So I do suddenly feel better about Costa Rica's chances, not that I have any particular loyalty to Costa Rica or any antipathy You're, towards New Zealand. It's just I love Kaylor Navas. You don't root for CONCACAF teams? 
I think, I think, yeah, I think I do, broadly speaking, unless maybe like El Tri were in a playoff. Even yeah. then, I want Mexico to World Cup. So yeah, oh, no, I, I, guess, I guess, I guess I do. I think you're I, right. I, I, I root for Concord. every CONCACAF team. I wore a uh, Kendall Waston Vancouver jersey to the 2018 World Cup against Brazil. <laughs> uh, I, re- I went to a Honduras game in 2014. Sorry, in Russia. I went to a Honduras game in 2014 in Brazil. Um, I do not root for Mexico. It's just a, a point of pride. But I love Mexico fans. I love all my Mexican friends. I love Mexican soccer. I love Liga MX. It's just, if you're not going to root against your rival, then what are you doing? <laughs> well said. I like that. All right, cool. Well, then I, I can feel better rooting for Costa Rica. In your face, New Zealand, even if there's MLS uh, MLS interest yeah, there as well. Uh, we also have US-17 ma- matches uh, still to be played. They've played two friendly games against World Cup opposition. Now they've got the Nations League against Granada and El Salvador. I do not want to be disrespectful or flippant, but I will ask you anyway, David, how much do you think we can learn from these games? For example, if Jesus Ferreira scores a hat trick against Granada, is that moving the needle for you or is it still a let's see what you do against slightly better opposition? It's a tough question because I'm my instinct is to say, no, it doesn't move the needle except for, well, then what does? World mm-hmm. Cup's in November. There's probably two more games after this window for the U.S. Like, w- you got to judge so- things off something. Mm-hmm. Um, Granada is a team that they were arguably the best in League B in Nations League last time around. And Shari Joseph, obviously Granada legend, MLS legend, was the manager. They played through everything. They played possession. They connected as a team. They were gorgeous to watch. They were dominant across the field. Since he has left, almost all of that has gone away. And so they are a step back from what they even were, which was a step down from World Cup competition, obviously. So at home against Austin, it's really hard to say that you should take things from it. The game at El Salvador, it won't be a World Cup style game. uh, And I've said this a couple times. I think the neutral nature of a World Cup, it's a different experience for players. There's anxiety that exists because it's so unique and new, but it's not the same as having fans scream at you in El Salvador. Like those are different challenges. And so while the El Salvador game will be stressful, which is a good experience and a good prep, it is not the same stressors as what the World Cup will be. But I will obviously take more from that El Salvador game for some players. And my hope is that these are going to be two completely new rosters and the thing we won't come away with is Jesus Ferreira scores a hat trick, but it will be, and I know no one wants to hear this, Joe Scali plays well and, and earns more time. Mm-hmm. Luca Delatore earns more time. I think these two games should be players who are trying to get on the roster or players who are trying to earn more value on the roster rather than that best 11. Let's keep going with that for a second then. So uh, you'd like to see more of Joe Scali. You'd like to see more of Luca De La Torre. Would you like to see Haji Wright start one or both of these games? Yeah, I think absolutely. Haji Wright should start both of them. Um, I'd like to see Brendan Aronson play central again. If you assume um, Weston McKinney's not going to be a huge part of these games, I'd like to see Jordan Morris get some opportunity and get some run out. I, I, those are the guys that I think this is what the value of these games could be. If it's not Scally, George Bello here, like th- that's where I see the value in these games um, for those guys. Why do you want uh, Haji Wright to start both? Just to see what he does with a larger sample size and a few more minutes? Yeah, 
Uh, I feel I understand the goal scoring is not there with the national team. I feel like I know who Jesus Ferreira is in this team. And and the value to me of playing Jesus Ferreira is the chemistry and connection with Pulisic and Wea and McKenney and Aronson. And if those guys aren't on the field, then does Jesus Ferreira learn how to step up against Granada? Does he, you know, what is he taking away from that? And while, as I said, it's a bit more in the El Salvador game, I still think his ability to play against Eric Zavaleta doesn't tell me a whole lot. So if those guys aren't on the field, then I would like to take the opportunity to see Haji Wright with the U.S. and see what he can do for this team. Um, and it's against the known level. My my big thing about Turkey, and we just spent some time pre- previous show talking about Turkey. I think we're both fans, but I, I can't tell you exactly what Trapsan Spore and Antalya Spore's level is. Mm-hmm. So I can't totally tell you then who Haji Wright is and what he can do for the national team. Not that El Salvador is better than those teams, but at least I know what other U.S. players look like against them, what Canadian players look like against them, and it can sort of help you gauge it. So is it more for you than about like getting a baseline for certain players of, okay, we've seen what maybe Joe Scally struggles with or how he didn't look so sharp against Uruguay, but uh, in these two games, he started both. He looks solid enough, so now we, we can at least say he can continue to be in the conversation, and then we'll see how the next few months go. Like, Is that what you're looking for, is making sure that the players who we continue to be discussing continue to get some looks are players who deserve those looks or of the level required? Yeah, I think so. I, I think most of us feel what? Craig Berhalter has 18 names in pen already if they're healthy. Yeah. I think the value here is, well, what's the other five to eight? However, however the math ends up working out on this. Um, and if you were going to call them to this camp, what was the point? And so I, I think at this point, you're looking at a camp where some of these guys haven't played at all. Some of these guys have played very little. If you were going to bring them at all, then now is the time to use them. All right, we're going to talk more about the U.S. roster and some MLS players in just a second. First, we're going to pause to take a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back. When last we were speaking, when last you heard us before ads were being discussed, uh, my friend David Goss had mentioned that he thinks there's maybe 18 names written in pen for Greg Berhalter. Joe and I tried to come up with that list on the fly in a recent show, uh, and I think we only got to 17. Do do you want to go through them with me really quickly and see what we're missing? Sure. All right. So in goal, we only had Stefan and Turner so far. Would you add Sean Johnson to that? Or do you think it's still kind of open that final spot? I would say it's open. But again, you know who the four are, right? Like, yeah. I think those are three roster spots that are locked. Okay. When doing he, the yeah. total number. So you'd say Johnson and then Horvath basically yeah. are the other two for now. Exactly. All right. 
And then we had Dest, Jedi, Zimmerman, Yedlin as our sort of locks for defenders. Even if Yedlin isn't going to start, it seems like he's coming as experience. He's been to a World Cup. He seems to be a veteran head. So we had him on that list as well. You did not have Aaron Long as a lock on the roster? We did not yet, I think, at, at that time. Uh, but I think he was on the... We had Aaron Long, Reggie Cannon, uh, Sean Johnson, Paul Ariola, and Christian Roldan on the like likely but not locks list. So I would elevate Roldan and Long to the locks on the roster list, not okay. in terms of playing time. Yeah. I, oh, I've gone back to this a million times. Aaron Long is the only injured player that has been called into a national team camp. Like They literally brought him when he was out. I think that's the value and connection that he has with Perhalter and with the team. Um, and Roldan, to me, is the essence of what you want off the bench at the World Cup. He has been in every single camp for a reason. I would be surprised if he wasn't in that team. All right, let's stick with those two names then. Uh, starting with with Aaron Long uh, is, I think, a, a source of some contention that seems to be a little bit because people still think John Brooks should be getting called in and a lot bit because Aaron Long is an MLS player coming back from injury. Um, how has he looked this season, in your opinion? How is his speed that we know was a big selling point in him being involved in this team? Seems like he's back to relative full fitness. What have you seen from him so far? Yeah, he's been really good um, for the Red Bulls. He, I, I was surprised as the season started that he was at this level. And then in talking to people around the Red Bulls, I mean, they said that he felt he could be back last year and that the club had to push him down the road and say, we know you want to, but this is the smart thing to do for your health and your career. Um, so that's how clean and serious his rehab went. Uh, and so he has been phenomenal this year. He's played with a couple different partners. He's played in a couple different setups, both four in the back and five in the back. Uh, and he's been as advertised. I think the one thing you saw in the national team games over the last two games, maybe just the bite tenacity in the 50-50s. Maybe he, he wasn't as strong in winning those tackles as he has been in the past. And I think that is one of those things where you can train and do all these things, but the actual physicality of a live game is different. And he still only has a couple under his belt. But what you've seen for the Red Bulls is they've pressed as high or if not harder than they have ever since Aaron Long's been there. And the huge outlet with that is you play direct over the top. And Aaron Long has been phenomenal in recovering on those balls, cleaning up messes. Um, one of the things I've always talked about with him for the Red Bulls is if you look at his partners the entire time, especially at its most successful, him and Tim Parker, they're all guys who don't want the ball. They don't feel comfortable with the ball at their feet. And so not only is Aaron Long a good passer, but he takes so much pressure. And he has to constantly play out of the back if they choose to do it. Uh, and he makes so few mistakes when doing it. Is he the best ball player out of, out of center back in the world? No, not at all. But he has an ability, I think, to, to work through his checks pretty well. He understands, obviously, for the Red Bulls, the system, which is, okay, if I don't have these two hits, then I know the space where we want to go and press or want to go and counter press or the danger areas. And he'll normally put the ball pretty cleanly there. And I think Klamala has been a good addition for him in those ways. But he's had a really good season. He has come back at a higher level than expected. And I think that's a ton of excitement for Greg Berhalter and this staff. So he doesn't make a ton of mistakes passing Aaron Long. What do you make of him actually on the ball when he's carrying it forward with his feet? There was a couple times in these, in these friendlies. One time uh, I mentioned on the show... 
it ends up being whistled for a foul. But in that moment, it's like the ball's poked away and then he's fouled. And if that contact doesn't happen, mm-hmm. I think it was Morocco's in on goal. Mm-hmm. And that did make me wonder a little bit about how quick he is in his decision making when he's in possession. You don't see him that often. And I know the moment you're talking about, we've seen Zimmerman have to do it a few times as well, where a team sits deep and it's on his responsibility to sort of take that space off of one of the center mids and sort of start to draw the play. You don't see that moment happen in Red Bull games very often because the intensity and the speed is so different. Uh, And I think that's part of his discomfort in doing it is you'll take the ball, teams will press you, you'll break the press and sort of make a play. That's much different than the center back progressing on the dribble against the low block. Um, And it's something that I actually think John Brooks is pretty good at. Uh, And I thought we saw that in Nations League last year, especially against Honduras. Um, That is one of those things that I don't know that Aaron Long does it very often. And I wonder what it will be like for him. And I I think that's where that mistake came from is what he's not comfortable. Then what is the past? What is he trying to accomplish? What has to happen? But the hope would be that the way that they've inverted the midfield, if that's what they do against opponents like that, Eunice Musa can take some of that stressor off him and Zimmerman and be the man responsible in those moments. One thing I'm going to ask you about a few different players we're going to discuss is what can they improve, if anything, between now and when Berhalter names that final World Cup squad. With Aaron Long, do you feel like the biggest thing is just making sure that fitness is there and making sure that physicality does get back versus, I don't know, becoming world class in his passing or in carrying the ball forward? Yeah, I think so. And your hope would be as the Red Bull season goes along, they play well, teams start to sit in more, it changes the game states that maybe he has more moments to play similar to what the U.S. will see, let's be real, just against Wales. Um, and so that's something where can he get comfortable there? Can he progress? But I would say most of it is, can he look like 2021 Aaron Long pre-injury? And then uh, Christian Roldan, another player you said you definitely think is on the roster, if not playing a ton of matches. I saw an interview with his brother today where uh, Alex Roldan <laughs> was talking about how like he hasn't got enough respect. He hasn't got enough opportunities with the United States. Uh, where do you think Christian blends in with this team, fits into this team, if not maybe starting games, getting a ton of minutes? I think he is a player who just won an international trophy, um, has a great personality, is someone that has a little bit more professional experience. All the things I'm saying are off field. Mm -hmm. I don't think Christian Roldan is going to be a difference maker for the world, for the U S on the field very often. And I think he understands that. And I think he's fine with it. And that's part of where the value comes on the roster. I would like to see him play wing a little bit for the U S because I do think the way he plays it is so different than most anyone else you see, which is it's like he plays target forward at that position. It's all about physicality. He picks up really good gaps, but he attacks everything he does immediately. Everything is straight. Everything's aggressive. Um, and he has really good vision across the back line, which one of the things he does really well for Seattle is he'll be the highest guy. And so when he picks up the ball, he has space to play into for runners coming on. And it's not picking out a guy who's already open. It's anticipating Rui Diaz and Jordan Morris's movement and putting the ball there early, which I think could be really interesting for the U.S. Because I'd say a lot of the guys on the U.S., they like to get into that final third and then decide what they're going to do. So with Haji Wright and his opportunity or half chance, I think it was against Morocco that created the penalty kick. We've seen it from Timothy Weah a couple times um, as well. But Roldan does all that different. 
but he's not going to be on the field in those positions yeah. instead of those guys. He's uh, an interesting piece against a tired team. Maybe it's Iran and you need a result and things, yellow cards haven't gone your way or something. And that's where you throw him on and just say, attack, attack, attack. And maybe you throw him on at a quote unquote fullback position when you need a goal and he'll play as a hybrid, play really high, be a part of the attack, but we'll get back and defend. I, I think that's his role on the team. And obviously his brother is his brother. So yes, that's great. You, you'd hope he'd support him. Yeah. But I think he his brother was like, yeah, no, he's not good enough. Don't yeah, start. Right. But I think he understands that. And I think for him, it's special. Um, yep. You know, when you meet him, when you talk to him, I met his mom at uh, CCL final. Like this is a family of El Salvadoran immigrants that grew up in East LA that now he's going to go to a world cup for the U S men's national team. Like it means a lot. It's why he picked this team. Um, I think he understands the path and the road and sort of what position he can hold. And I think him understanding and accepting it is actually better for the national team yeah. than other guys where he won't not push guys in training, but he's not going to mope. Yeah, exactly. Because I think I was on the fence with him. I've always enjoyed him, especially for Seattle. But it did seem like there were there was more depth in that midfield. We saw Luca De La Torre playing as the number six, but also playing as the number eight. And suddenly I was yeah. thinking, maybe Roldan is one who was there and it was important for the foundation. Uh, but Scuffed tweeted a great quote from Weston McKinney that I think really like nails down the point you're making. He said, Christian Roldan is, an, is a good example. He doesn't start many of the games, but the thing is the games I have played and started on the national team, he is such a team player. I'll come in at halftime and he'll leave his spot, come sit next to me and tell me things like, Wes, if you can open up uh, to this pocket here, you'll be able to get the ball more because they're closing that midfield down. That's probably the biggest team player I've ever met in my life. Basically <laughs> saying that Roldan will kind of like put his ego to the side and coach up some players. So I think you're absolutely right. He seems like a veteran who's going to be there. Maybe get some minutes, but ultimately is about keeping squad harmony, helping with the coaching staff, helping guys keep their heads on. Uh, and my assumption was that DeAndre Yedlin would be performing a similar role. Are you agreeing with that one? Or do you think he's offering more on the field as well? No, I think I agree with that one. Um, the one thing with Yedlin that you look at is behind Dest. Him yeah. and Reggie Cannon. Well, I... Reggie's tough because I do think Reggie brings similar attributes to Dest or to Yedlin. He, he when he was in Dallas, he played really high up the field. He was extremely aggressive in the attack. Um, he's now played a ton of right center back and three in the back and five in the back with Boa Vista. And so I don't think he's lost those attributes, but I don't think they're the first part of his game. And we've seen that with the national team. He has not been as high up the field as other fullbacks have been when he's been on the field. He's been a little bit more conservative. Um, so in one way, Yedlin and him offer different things, but I think Cannon can do both. Uh, but clearly Yedlin has earned also the trust of Greg Berhalter, which is fascinating because he was on the opposite end of the spectrum. When Greg Berhalter came in, it seemed like he basically said, Yedlin's a winger. I don't even trust him to defend. So he either wasn't getting called in or wasn't getting put on the field to then the ex opposite extreme, which was, well, we're playing Mexico. I need someone I can trust out there. DeAndre Yedlin, he's a starter if Dest isn't available. Huh. That's that's really interesting because I, I kind of forgot that there was that time when it seemed like Yedlin was, was done with the national team. And now here we are with him back in contention. How much have you, of that leadership of the veteran presence have you seen with him at Inter-Miami this season? I think it's been huge. And I think it's... um I guess I can't say what it, he was like in groups that often over the last two years because they were big clubs. Mm -hmm. He was sort of a part of it all. 
but it, it almost is an example to me of what he's done at Inter Miami. If that's what he brings to the U.S., then that's great. Like he has been vocal. He's been talkative. He's taken pressure off other players. Uh, I think he's taken responsibility for big moments. I think you've seen the level of quality on the back line change when he's in and out of the team. Uh, and I think a lot of that is his effect on the players around him, especially on Damian Lowe or, or Ami Mabako, who's in his second year. He's basically a rookie out of college that he's been able to help along that back line. So I, I, he's been really impressive. Obviously, living in Miami is great. He's making a bunch of money. But like choosing to go to that club was not the easiest thing to do. And it's not a simple environment to be in. And I think he's handled it really well so far. And then, uh, so we had him as one of our locks. We had Reggie Cannon just on the outside. And I think uh, when you all were having a similar conversation on Extra Time, Doyle said basically Cannon, not a lock in the roster right now, but if it's 26, then it seems like he will go as sort of depth and potentially as that sort of right back to right center back player. I think I agree with that. Um, I feel pretty safe in saying he will be there. Mm -hmm. Whether it is because it's 26, he sneaks into 23, or someone else is hurt. Because that's part of the conversation with these positions is if Jedi or Dest or a center back gets hurt, there's a decent chance Reggie Cannon gets on the roster, which is a ton of variability to say over the next five months. Like one of those things will probably happen. Uh, so I feel pretty safe in saying Reggie Cannon will be in the World Cup. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you on that one. We're, we're, Suddenly making this roster pretty big because I think with the <laughs> Johnson or Horvath, we know one of them or seems like one of them will round out the goalkeepers. I think that puts us at 21 players we have on the, the roster right now. Uh, added to that would be uh, Gio Reyna, assuming that he uh, eventually gets Joe's hamstrings. Joe has offered to give up his hamstrings for Gio Reyna. Uh, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Luca De La Torre. Kellen Acosta is, is also on our list. Would you have Kellen Acosta going to the World Cup right now? A hundred percent. That's what I thought. Yeah. Why and would you have Kellen Acosta going to the World Cup right now? He's proven that he is the backup to Tyler Adams at that position, and he's the only one in that spot. Um, and so he stands alone in that one position. And then on top of that, and I should have mentioned it with Roldan, and obviously it goes with the Reggie Cannon thing as well. Flexibility is is maybe as big a talent off the bench as anything else it can be at a World Cup. You don't know what's going to happen. You, you don't even know who your opponent will be if you get out of the group stage. So what do you need? What type of attributes do you need? And I, I haven't done the math yet on this. I probably should. I think there's one less day of rest in the World Cup at least. Because there's four games every day where it used to be three games every mm-hmm. day and you'd get through a group and a half. You're now going to get through two groups a day. Um, and so, and then I, I believe the knockouts start quicker. So everything's going to come faster. And so to have a player like Kellen Acosta, he can literally play anywhere in the midfield and he can play with anyone else in this midfield. And that's what's huge um, for his ability to make this team and be a part of this team is. If Tyler is starting, he can play as one of the two eights. I think he can play deep alongside Tyler, similar to what Musa did, if that's what they want him to do. He's not the same dribbler. He's not the same game changer, but he is comfortable in possession, and he did do that for uh, the Colorado Rapids over a course uh, over the course of the last two years. He has played there now for LAFC as well, in front of Ilya Sanchez, if he has to, as one of those two eights ahead of him. He's played fullback, which I think he's very bad at, and I would never want to see him play that at a World Cup, but Greg Rohalter has put him there in high-level games. So all of that goes to his skill set, um, and he he won that spot behind Tyler Adams. So alone, that would have gotten him on the roster. 
See, you say that, but just wait until Dest, Cannon, and Yedlin all get injured, and we do still have Kellen Acosta there to play as a fullback, and then you'll be happy. It is one of the biggest myths in U.S. soccer that he can play fullback. (laughs) The term should be he (laughs) has played fullback, not that he can. If you go back and look, I think the last time he played for the U.S. at fullback, I'm pretty sure he gave up a penalty. Right? That's not good. That's not good. Oh, okay. I thought you were were remembering with me. Um, and uh, he's pretty much had a moment like that every single time. It's just not his position. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It happens. I don't know that Haji Wright would be great at fullback either, so I don't blame him. <laughs> All right. Haji Wright will not make your list as a fullback. That's good to know. Uh, we're going to take one more break, then we will be back to continue to talk about the U.S. roster and some MLS players that could feature. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Uh, we skipped over one MLS player when we were discussing the potential U.S. roster. A man that we would assume will be nailed on there, written in pen, is Walker Zimmerman. Uh, is he your most important or most important center back, I'll say? Not, if not outright defender, David, is he your most important center back right now? Yeah, definitely, because he's the only known quantity. And if you're going to build a partnership, you need at least one stable piece to start to build around. And that's not a knock on Walker and saying like, oh, I want it want him, he has to be that guy, but you need to start somewhere. And I think it's easier to to work off the attributes he has to say who's his partner. It's funny because a few years ago, I was saying the same thing in favor of Walker Zimmerman because of I thought he was the best fit for John Brooks, who I thought was the nailed in guy. And I kept saying, oh, Walker can cover range. He's athletic. He'll win stuff in the air. He can do all the things that Brooks doesn't do well, which was what Wolfsburg had done for him. Now, I guess Walker has locked himself in as the guy who's who's 100% starting. And especially once you lose Miles Robinson, you lose so much of the minutes that happened in World Cup qualifying. I do think when you look at all of the, the center back options alongside him, he fits well with most of them. Um, and uh, my assumption is most of them will take the load off the build outs from him. So that's not his his skill set. That's not what he does really well. Um, but he's elite in the air, which helps you in both directions. Obviously, on set pieces, it'll be a huge part for the U.S. Offensively, I mean, just think about first game, Wales, what's their best option? It's balls over the top on the counter and set pieces off Gareth Bale. And so Walker Zimmerman being on the field is crucial in a moment like that. Uh, and he he has stepped up to every challenge so far. I do not think he's perfect. I don't think he's a guy where I'm saying, because uh, I've seen this a bit lately, well, how did other teams miss him? How is he not already in England? Blah, blah, blah. I think he's really good piece for the U.S. He's in his prime. This is a really good moment for him. Um, and with a lack of other center backs that are options, he seems like a guy who has already earned his spot and locked it in. 
What are those vulnerabilities then? Is it mostly just that he's okay on the ball, but not great on the ball? Yeah, I I still um, I still think at times he can struggle defending in a back four. Uh, I think he's an incredible organizer in the back five for Nashville. So he'll play in the center of the three center backs. He's a really good organizer. The challenge in those moments is mainly a guy trying to post you up or a ball clipped in where he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Guys that pull him out and try and dribble and take him on and his you know, what we saw at LAFC where he had to go range over to the sideline and, and defend as fullbacks are covered in moments like that. I think he, he can struggle 1v1 defensively, um, but Nashville doesn't ask that of him a lot. And the U.S. has been able to sort of protect him out of those moments, I think, as well. I think Tyler Adams is a huge part of that. Uh, it's not his to go range over there. Tyler will be the one who will go there, cover that space, and he can sort of say centrally. And then the possession. And obviously, you play in the center of a back five. There isn't as much work to do building out of that back, especially when you have Dax and Godoy and all those pieces in front of you who sort of want to pick that ball off your foot. Um, but he is, hands down, one of the three or four best defenders in Major League Soccer. And I, that's where he you know, sort of earns that spot here on this World Cup. Is there anything you think he could do between now and the World Cup to further develop, to make you feel even a little bit more better about him starting for the U.S.? Or is it mostly just kind of maintain the level that he's presently at? Yeah, I think that's most of it. I just that it's not how Nashville plays, and they're not yeah. going they're not going to change that. They do play a bit more expansive when they're home. Um, they had some obscene games last year, three three ties, all that type of stuff. But it still comes out of for the most part that five man backline, which it feels at this point the U.S. isn't going to play. So it's hard to say these skill sets that he's developing are really going to work for him going forward for the U.S. I think it's mainly about that fitness. And you can't underestimate his attacking threat. Like, he is a legitimate option on every set piece. He's a danger. And on the field with Weston McKinney, uh, it's going to be a nightmare for teams to try and defend. And I wouldn't be surprised if he scores a goal or two at a World Cup. Well, speaking of scoring goals, uh, there's a player that I would like to do that for the U.S. Uh, very soon. Uh, that's Jesus Ferreira, who we did have on our automatic list. Uh, rounding that out was Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, Brendan Aronson, and then Jesus Ferreira. Uh, I'm assuming he is in your squad, David, but uh, what have you made of Jesus Ferreira this season? Let's move away from the U.S. for a second. Let's talk about with FC Dallas. Nine goals and four assists across 14 games, 12 of them starts. Obviously could not get on the score sheet these past two friendlies. So what if people aren't watching a ton of FC Dallas, what are they missing when he's playing for his club? So the big one is he plays center forward now. He had played number 10 over the last year and a half, two years. He actually came through, broke through at wing a little bit, sometime at center forward and sometime at the number 10. Uh, And now he is the full-time starter at that position for FC Dallas. So that's gotten him closer to goal more consistently, hence leading the goal sort, goal, golden boot chart. Um, but he's become, I think, a player who fits their team really well. And I, I think U.S. fans will hear a lot of similar similarities in that their wingers are goal scorers. And so he is a creator at the number nine position. Uh, Paul Ariola has been really good. I think we'll talk about him in a little bit. Hader O'Brien, who they brought in last year, who was a golden boot winner down in Colombia as a winger, had a terrible year last year. He's improved slightly this year. And then Alan Velasco was their big designated player signing. All of those guys are guys who are comfortable pinching in off the win, making that angled run on goal and being played through and scoring. And Jesus Ferrer has done that really well. But the variance in his game has been really impressive in that he will swap positions with them. He will pick up those areas on the side and then he will make those runs in 
as a goal scorer. If you look at a lot of his goals, they're him coming across the box. It's a touch and then a finish, which is one of the things that you sort of see in that buildup against Morocco at the end of the first half, where it's more of a direct angle on goal. And he has to sort of open up his hips and try and beat a goalkeeper from the center of the box. I don't think those are most of the goals he has scored in MLS. And obviously it's a thing he should be able to, because that's like the opening of a training session plus how you warm up for every single game. Uh, but they haven't been the goals he's been scoring as often. He's two footed. He's pretty low to the ground and powerful in that he can hold people off. He can go to both feet so he can create space in a lot of different ways. He's really a genius. Like the way he affects a soccer game naturally with his movement, when he's nowhere near the ball, when he's near the ball, when he's trying to open up space, when he naturally just does it, his ability to, you know, force the press and force the ball to other, to specific angles for the other team and then move and open up angles for his team in possession is phenomenal. And it, it it's not a coincidence that his dad's a soccer genius as well. His brother now is a really high prospect in the FC Dallas Academy. And, it, and I think part of that also goes to the positions. Like having played so many positions, I think he has a clear idea of what he would want from a center forward and the different ways that it can affect the team. Shock of all shocks. Are you telling me that FC Dallas continues to develop uh, future national team players? I'm shocked. Uh, I can't guarantee he'll be a U.S. national team player. I don't know if he's dual, um, <laughs> Santi Ferreira, but yeah. It, it, and he's a, he's a six or an eight. So there's the ch- potential one day that you could play all, obviously not for the U.S., but for Dallas. You could play all three of them in a row straight up the field. That's a spine. Uh, so with Ferreira for a moment, or with Jesus Ferreira for a moment, <laughs> like I'm assuming that you, this is a silly question, but like, at number nine, you want to score goals. We mm-hmm. would we would like to see him. We would have loved to see him get a goal or two in these friendlies. It sounds like you are of the mind that he is helping create opportunities for his teammates and is putting himself in the good positions to eventually get goals. They just haven't come, but over time, that will even out. Is that about, is that about where you are, that it's not fundamentally important that he's the goal scorer, but also he probably will score goals over the long term? I This is all in the context in which I don't, believe anyone else is better right now and so this is not how i would build a team this is not how i desire it to be this is not me arguing with people who don't like what they see this is i think making the best of the reality that we have right now and i've said this a couple times over the last week because my mind started to wrap around it as i've gotten excited about the world cup is like i haven't i haven't heard you say this so please take as long as you want because i am i am very interested we are here we're in, there's no, well, what if random guy becomes a superstar? We're in June of 2022. Like the World Cup is now. And so at some point, you just have to accept that it's not going to be ideal at every position. Not everyone is going to be informed. Not everyone is going to be exactly what you want. But you do need to get enough points in these three games against Wales, England, and Iran to get to the next round and hopefully then do some damage from there. If you, I think if you accept that, then you start to look at, okay, who's playing the best? What are your options? I don't think Jesus Ferreira is locked in as the starter, um, but I, he's played well enough at this point. He has enough chemistry that he will be a part of the team, and he does bring positive attributes to the field. I say all that in, that, in sort of what you said, I don't know that he will score those goals this year. He has to score those goals. 
I don't know that he will. And it, and it might be the Achilles heel of the U.S. I do believe he'll create chances for Pulisic, Weah, Reyna, Aronson, McKenney. I do believe he'll positively affect the game on the field for the U.S. It might be that the U.S. goes out at the group stage because Jesus Ferreira missed two knock-ins at the far post after the ga- the you know the play cycled over to the opposite side. And uh, it wouldn't exactly shock me. Um, but where we stand right now, I don't know that. I mean, what going through the list, right? Giassi, Sargent, I don't know, Pepe. What, who is Daryl DK healthy? Uh, Brandon Vasquez, who else am I missing? Haji Wright, Jordan Pivak. I don't know that any of them make the U.S. better than he does today. But we're still at time of recording talking about a player who is joint top scorer mm-hmm. in the league. So if you were sort of trying to sum up why he's able to score those nine goals for Dallas, but hasn't scored as many for the United States, what would you point to? Is it just the service he's getting? Is it the positions he ends up finding himself in because he's starting deeper? Something else entirely? Yeah, I think all of those are part of it. I would say also game states. I think Dallas has played teams that have played higher lines against them, and there's space in behind that he's attacked, um, that he hasn't done the same with the U.S., partially because so many teams in qualifying sat deep on us, and um, partially because I think part of his role on this team is to let Ariel or uh, let Pulisic be the guy to stretch the field in those moments or Wea, where he does that more for Dallas because um, Ariola will drop deeper alongside Pomichol and launch him through. So I think part of that is it. I think Pomichol's part of it as well. Like Musa, McKenney, Adams, they're not guys who are going to really find him early into space because that's not the way they see the game. Uh, and so I don't know that he's getting that same service. I would say a lot of his goals have been over the top chances, um, attacking a, a goalkeeper who has to come out rather than chances in the box. And then I don't know that the U.S., and it's hard to say because it's what Greg Berhalter wants. I don't know that they've created as many chances from those danger zones right next to the box as they would like to have, which are his bread and butter of, you know, pull yourself off to the back post and it's a tap in across the six. And my hope is that w- when we're playing teams that are slightly more expansive or mm-hmm. less, you know, 10 behind the ball, that will be a thing. He gets more opportunities. But the major thing, I, I guess, though I know it's June of a World Cup year, I still, because it's delayed, I, I guess I hadn't really considered that. Yeah, the World Cup is here. And you're totally right that there's going to be that one September friendly or a September window when we'll get probably two friendlies. And that's about it for the U.S. So... If you're Greg Berhalter, maybe you'll experiment a little bit if Josh Sargent starts the season by scoring 15 goals or Mm -hmm. something. But that aside, it does seem like it's basically we've tried a bunch of different people. Let's go with the one that seems to get it the most and then let's fine tune and give him some reps. And I would would add to that, if a Daryl DK comes in and scores, Mm -hmm. he definitely gets himself into a conversation, probably into a team. But then does he start game one? Right. Because he hasn't been with this group for at that point, it'll probably be a year. So then there's also that Jesus Ferreira is starting ahead of a lot of these guys, I would say, yeah. as well. Uh, unless Haji Wright gets, what, like quadruple hat tricks in these next two games, then maybe Haji Wright starts? That, I don't think that <laughs> changes it. Uh, so we, we feel confident that Jesus Ferreira will be in the squad, if not starting uh, that first game. We'll see how things play out. What about his club teammate, Paul Ariola having a decent season himself, seven goals, two assists. Where would you put him on the depth chart for the U.S.? Because it does seem like he is playing a position that is pretty, pretty deep. And that's not even including Christian Roldan, who could play there as well. Yeah, you got to keep me honest on the numbers here because I don't have anything written down in front of me. Well, if it helps, I had actually written Gio Reyna twice when we first did this list. So we're only at 20 right now. And one of those spots is Johnson Horvath. Okay. Um, Yeah, I feel 
it, it feels safe to say that he's on the roster. Um, he was a every game locked in player for Greg Berhalter pretty much over his entire time as national team manager. And he's playing the best soccer I've ever seen him play right now. So part of the interesting conversation with this national team, I think, and the lack of games is a lot of what happens to these players. I don't think they control like Paul Ariola doesn't control how Tim Weah plays at Lille um, or how Brendan Aronson will play at Leeds United. Uh, but in terms of what he can control, this is the best I've ever seen him play. And I, I go back uh, to what I've seen from him with Dallas is one flexibility in the flow of the game. So what he's done is he started, uh, they play a four, three, three. He has started on the right. Most of the games, he has played at least 20 minutes on the left, almost every game. And it just happens in the flow of the game. He's dangerous from both positions. It'll happen in a moment and then he'll go back or he'll stay there and can change the game from both positions. And so you're looking at a guy where you say on this team, one, you're going to be a sub. I don't know who I'm going to need to pull out in each game. Well, he can play on both sides as well as potentially starting on both sides. You know that he's a monster pressing. He has an engine. He works hard. He understands the concepts of, of, of what to do. And he will drag himself off the field after the game <laughs> rather than let a second moment, uh, a moment for a defender to rest. And so he's a game changer on that side of the ball. If that's something that the U.S. decides to use, like we saw against Morocco, maybe a little bit more aggressively. He's also very dedicated to working hard defensively, even more with the national team than he probably does with the club, where his responsibilities are a little different to the point where it felt like we were going to see a DeMarcus Beasley. Oh, well, he's such a good defensive winger. Do you swap him to fullback? That's probably not going to happen with the pool of players that the U.S. has. But that's how good he can be. So I think the trust parts of the position are all there, that he can do all these things well. And then you mentioned those stats. He's been uber dangerous for Dallas, two-footed. He's now scoring goals from outside the box. He's scoring goals inside the box. He's scoring goals with his left, with his right, from both sides of the field. Uh, And his game has grown so much as he has covered and touched more of the game this year. Uh, that it, it feels a lot like what Jordan Morris felt like before the most recent injury, which was like you turn on a game and you just see them constantly and you say their name constantly and they are the other team is always scrambling to deal with them. Is he is he a player who like at the risk of, uh, you know, stirring up Twitter ire, if he's playing for a mid table Liga Mackey's team, do you think there is as much consternation about him being included as there is when he does get included playing for Dallas and D.C.? No, probably not. Although maybe the reply guys on Twitter don't watch Mexico either, so they wouldn't know. Um, but uh, I, I do. There, there's obviously that's still a factor with mm-hmm. the way people judge all of these things. I mean, it's a way people that I work with judge all these players. Like it, it's still part of of what happens. If people are going to take demerits away from his opposition, then you're going to say, "Oh, seven goals to assist. You should do that." It's not hard. These teams aren't that good. Their opponents aren't good. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. People will say, if people are going to say that, then there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but being on the field has helped him grow as a player, and he wasn't getting those opportunities as much in Mexico on top of the money that he got to come here. Uh, another name that you mentioned there, I think this is one of the last ones we had on our just outside looking in list, would be Jordan Morris. Uh, where is he in your rankings right now, and what does he need to do to sort of move up or potentially cement that spot in the roster? He's not back from the player he was before. And a piece of that is physical, but a lot of that is mental with him. Mm. Um, He has 
an ability when he wants to, to put a backline on their heels and attack with what he does. He has phases of not games like seasons where he'll be the opposite player and everything is he stretches a back line and then he'll sort of cycle back around and recycle possession. Um, before the injury, he was almost, it was the most consistent we'd seen him be the dangerous player, always attacking defenses, taking shots with both feet, having the confidence to get to the, knowing the balance he wants between getting to the end line and getting himself in on goal. And I had zero question, even with the success of players in Europe, when he got hurt, that he was a starter for the U.S. men's national team. That's how good he was playing and how big a difference maker he was out on the wing. He's not that guy for Seattle right now. Um, and so I don't, he definitely can't be that guy for the U.S. And I think his spot on the roster is in question. Now, he has this tool that he brings that no one else has, which is he's a world-class athlete. His speed is game-changing. And so when you start to put together a roster, now you say, okay, I'm five down on the winger depth chart. Maybe, I don't know, give me a name. X player is a better player all around. Ariola, for example. Yeah, it might be. But here's a tool and a skill that I can use in a moment when I want it. Uh, and I think that'll keep Jordan Morris in the conversation. And he is a player where over the next three months, if he starts playing for Seattle the way he was pre-injury, that my mind shifts on that. And I'm sure Greg Berhalter's does as well. So of the MLS players that we've discussed, is he the only one that you think, if he does just kind of continue to stay where he's at or maybe has an even worse rest of the season, is he the only one you think could play himself out of contention? I do. Um, I, I do think so. I think everyone else is playing at a level that if they maintain it, they should stick in their spots where they are. Well, there we are. All right. Well, David Goss, thank you so much for, for going through all that with me. Uh, it was wonderful. You have the knowledge. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Are there any other MLS players you think like we should be keeping an eye on? Greg Berhalter might be keeping an eye on. Uh, we should mention Jesus Ferrer, the joint top scorer alongside Jeremy Ibobasi. Mm -hmm. So maybe Ibobasi gets, gets a look or two, but that has not happened uh, recently to my mind. So it does seem like things are more or less said. Is there a player in MLS you think could catch fire, could raise those estimations a little bit? Or do you think we're about where we're going to be? I think we're probably close. Uh, we're now probably going to restart the Georgie Mihailovic conversation. Oh boy. Um, which I think is fair. Like he would have started last week. He would have started in a role that fits his skill set pretty well. I think now with Wales, being confirmed as the opponent, you start to talk about what he can bring as a goal scorer and an attacking piece specifically for that game, which I think this is going to be an issue for the U.S. And so I think he'll remain in that conversation. Um, so that's one. I would say, Abobasi, I agree with you. I really wanted to see him in this camp. I think him not getting called into this camp being the joint top scorer in the league sort of tells you where he stands and, and the story with him. Um, so those are two. There are a couple players that maybe if the timing was different, I would say would have a shot that don't. Frankie Amaya is one that comes to mind of like it, what Luca Delatore does well, but also what Kellen Acosta does well. Amaya sits in a really interesting place in between. He's been phenomenal this season, but it's probably too late in this window to bring in a young player like that. Pomichol's probably too far out as well. Um, and one I think for the future but probably not a part of this group is Leon flock. Um, mm -hmm. He can play a lot of different roles. He 
can play left back, which is really interesting for a team that that's probably the biggest weakness right now is the depth in that spot. Uh, but again, 21 years old, hasn't been called in, hasn't been a part of the group. I'd be shocked if he was as well. Aaron Herrera's on that list too. I love Aaron Herrera. I would put him on a World Cup roster. I would put. I would go into any battle with Aaron Herrera, but he has not been a part of Greg Berhalter's group. Actually, since you mentioned that, I keep teasing that we're almost done, and then I keep asking more <laughs> questions. If Anthony Robinson were to go down just before the World Cup starts, and let's really hope that does not happen, right now, who would you feel most comfortable starting at left back? We've had multiple people get some opportunities there. Joe Scali, George Bello, Sam Vines, Serginio Dest. Is there someone else you'd like to see, or does one of those names stand out uh, at present recording time? Uh, so I am Team Sam Vines. And Interesting. I will start out by prefacing that I don't really watch the Belgian League. No? So I have not watched him there that often. Um, but I think he is the highest floor option at those positions. I think George Bello is a higher ceiling. Um, I think Joe Scally potentially is a higher ceiling, although probably at right back. Um, but Sam Vines, he's an off-the-charts athlete who I think can physically hang at the international game. He's now played in two different leagues, in two different styles, so he has a bit of flexibility. He has seen the game in different ways. He has shown an ability to adjust. He only affects the game attacking-wise in the same spaces that Jedi does. He always wants to stay wide. He likes to get high. He has the ability to get back and recover so he can get high up the field and take some risks, and he's almost always going to put that cross in. He's not going to dribble that player and try and come back inside and connect and link up. And so while there's limitations there, I think it's the most comfortable fit for what you're losing from Jedi and what Jedi has sort of shown that he is um, for this team. So I wanted Vines to be called into this camp. I was a little bit frustrated that he wasn't. I think he will be in the European camp because he's already playing there. And you'd assume a good bulk of that roster will be European. Um, and I think he can make sense as a backup. Now, I think in four years, Bello and maybe Kevin Paredes and, um, uh, there's five other young players in, in the MLS systems that I could talk about that I think could be there. Maybe it's Jonathan Gomez, whatever. But today I think Vines is your safest bet to cover that spot. I've taken a lot of notes on this episode. My last one is just David Hart, Sam Vines. <laughs> that's that's my summary of that entire explanation. I hope Sam Vines knows that. There's someone out there that loves you, Sam. Keep doing your thing. <laughs> and his name is Dave. And he did a great job today. David, thank you so much uh, out there on the West Coast, but still taking the time to chat. I very much appreciate it. Am, am I on the 26 for you? Am I in pen, pencil? How do we feel after this performance? Or should we I mean, do? I mean, you're number, Joe you're on number to one. Do a, you're number one, baby. Oh, but yeah, wow. Joe. But then Joe would do a whole like expected words per minute versus actual <laughs> words per minute achieved. And I'm sure he would have uh, metrics that would say differently. But uh, in my roster, you're number one in pen. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> my pleasure. Listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. We will have more shows for you this week. But for now, we'll talk to you soon. 